Welcome back, everybody. It's John Pollock here, live from Post Office West, and joining us live in living color, he is Cody Saftik. In studio, John. Thank you very much for having This is exciting stuff, Cody. Yeah, it's good for a reunion. And it's not one of these Skype reunions where it's like, yeah, we'll get together for drinks one of these days, John. It's like in person. So good to see you, man. We are here. Lots of stuff to talk about. It's always great chatting with you and so much that is going on in the world of mixed martial arts. What, in your estimation, is the big story this week? I And does it involve a cell phone being stomped on? (laughs) (laughs) From this week, yeah. I would say from the month, certainly, George St. Pierre putting a stamp on the legendary career. And then with Tyron Woodley's recent loss, which I'd love to talk about if you do, um, I think it really puts a stamp on how great George really was or is. But yeah, now that he's retired, it seems like Conor McGregor stole this last minute. Because you and I discussed having me on the show, and I was all for it. And this is all prior to one Conor McGregor at five in the morning not take it too kindly to uh, not even paparazzi, just a fan. But, yeah, uh, well, we can start there because this is a story that I think if it wasn't Conor McGregor, we probably wouldn't be focusing too much upon. And I would also say if this was an isolated incident, I don't think it would be that big of a deal. Obviously, Conor McGregor brings about him that kind of a spotlight that something is going to be magnified. And these are, you know, these are two significant charges that he is facing. I don't think anybody expects that he's getting anything more than a a minuscule fine out of this and maybe some community service. But it is this pattern that we have seen with Conor McGregor from storming a Bellator cage to, I mean, all of the stuff that, that led up to Brooklyn last year. I mean, it's a pattern we see with Conor McGregor that has, you know, been, been there for some time. Is it anything that you give any significant attention to or do you look at this as simply you know uh an incident that he just didn't handle well of a fan getting too close at five in the morning well like you said if it was a single solo isolated incident then i don't think it was that big of a deal like he grabbed the guy's phone and he smashed it and i think there's a lot of celebrities out there uh like if you were some random celebrity and you took grab the paparazzi's camera and you smash it to the ground yeah the tabloids would be talking about it yeah it'd be like hey so and such and such smashed somebody's camera and the camera was worth $3,000 and they're going to have to pay for it. But when the headline came out for Conor McGregor, the headline's like, he's stealing phones and it's theft and he got arrested in Miami with theft. It's like, my God, the guy's worth $50 million. What's he, what's he stooping to the level of stealing phones in Miami? But you read it and it's like, yeah, it's an anger issue. This man's also a prize fighter. This man's also a prize fighter that has his, not reputation tarnished, but certainly his pride tarnished uh, when you look at his last recent couple performances. And, you know, there's a lot of pressure on him. It's 5 o'clock in the morning. I I would reason that a lot of people are saying he's partying hard and he's up at 5 in the morning. I would reason that that's probably when he wakes up and tries to get workouts in, and that's when he probably spends quiet time in his day because think about it. You Imagine trying to walk into public in daylight as Conor McGregor. Not happening. Can't do it. So it's like those are the most, so at five o'clock in the morning, like you wake up, you saw him running like right after he got released, like that's his time. And this guy gets in his face and he smashes the camera. It's when you look at the fact that, oh, he threw a, a dolly through a bus window and he stormed that Bellator cage and he was linked with punching that guy in a bar. Now the Irish mafia is apparently, you know what I mean? Like it's just, it, it's a reoccurring theme. But I beg you to look at another, especially in combat sports, a fighter that's gotten to the highest level, whether it be the obvious example being Mike Tyson, but whether it be uh, a Badr Hari or whether it be anybody, uh, you know, you get to a certain level, you attain a certain level, you make money. 
it kind of spirals out of control. And that's I, sadly what it looks to be the case with one. I can right. absolutely sympathize with uh, someone that gets to that level of celebrity. And yes, there's a certain acknowledgement that when you seek a life like this and, and seek that fame, that Conor McGregor has, uh, Conor McGregor has never been the one that has strictly been driven by the martial arts. The celebrity is a huge attraction to this guy. He enjoys that spotlight. But with that comes an enormous amount of pressure that I, I cannot imagine being at that level where I walk down the street and, and I'm stopped uh 15 times a day that said it's not as though we see these uh similar examples where there's plenty of high level athletes and fighters that are not stomping on cell phones and walking away with them so it's something that he obviously needs to uh, put up some kind of guard uh, against that kind of exposure and what this again i think this all comes down to he's going to get the ultimate slap on the wrist. It's going to be a fine. This is not going to be a big story. But the bigger question to me is, is what is in the immediate fighting future of Conor McGregor as we look at 2019? Yeah, well, in Conor McGregor's case, it's always been a, a story of no publicity is bad publicity. So if he's not fighting, he's doing things like throwing dollies. At, this engages his fan base that uh, is of, going to say, absolutely, course, get in his course. face. I mean, this is kind of... That's the Conor McGregor. They, they, that's the kind of action I'm sure a lot of his fans, they want him to have. That here's this guy. He not just broke this guy's phone. He left with the cell phone. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, of course, like it's, uh, this is hardly, um, a PR disaster for Conor McGregor. No, and in fact, if you look at it, it's a little PR boost uh, in terms of his clicks this week and his views this week and people talking about him and the press he's getting out of it. And talk about, you You mentioned the fact it's going to be a, a light slap on the wrist. Yeah, hey, this is cheap publicity. I smashed a phone, which I will have to replace, and I'm going to probably just pay this guy $15,000 or $10,000 at a court to walk away. He'll probably take it. I'll give him some tickets to my next fight. Everybody walks away happy. He gets a boost out of it. I, again, when you look at the big prize fighters in particular, I think it's different if you're a baseball player and you're doing all these crazy things. Then management looks at it and says, this is a problem. But when you're a prize fighter and you have a certain status, management's not looking at it like, oh, man, this guy's off the rail. We need to take him out. It, th they're still going to push it. Adrian Broner, same thing. He's getting big fights in the world of boxing. And every other week, this guy's in a shootout in in Ohio, in, uh, in Ohio somewhere. And it's just like, man, what's going on with him? But it's selling. And in Conor McGregor's case, it's selling. He smashes a cell phone and sells. What's his, in, is his, what is in his immediate future? He's got options. He always has. Um, again, if he wants to go back to boxing, the fight with Paulo Malinaji doesn't sell mega, but it's going to sell because it has Conor McGregor and there's a built-in storyline. Malinaji bare knuckle boxing. That, I don't know what that's all about, but if he was to fighting beat Lobov, Lobov. No, he's not fighting Lobov. If Lobov wins his next fight, he's fighting Lobov. Um, if he's to beat Arnold Lobov, then maybe you do that fight. If he's coming back to MMA, nobody wants to see him fight Tony Ferguson. People will say they do, but they don't. You don't want to see him fight Ferguson. You don't want to see him fight Habib. He could fight Nate Diaz again. There's one. Uh, a, a rematch with Dustin Poirier. I think people were really behind that idea. That makes sense. A fight with Cowboy Cerrone. That would make a lot of sense. I see them going with the Cerrone fight just because the fan reaction has been really positive towards it. It's a quote-unquote winnable fight for Conor McGregor. But again, it's going to be a tough fight. And it's a big-name opponent, Cerrone, who is deservedly so should get a big money fight. If anybody in the sport deserves a money fight, John, it's one Cowboy Cerrone. So there's options for Connor. It's just who's going to get that red panty night payday out of it. And again, there's suitable competitors out there for him, but he'll be back. This doesn't dethrone him. Look at, look at Floyd Mayweather, the greatest boxer of all time. How, how often did you used to read about Floyd Mayweather getting in a fight in some Vegas casino with somebody? You know, it, it, it's the same thing. When they look at your legacy from afar, He's, he's, he's got a reputation. He's got fights under his belt. He's, he's got accomplishments. Well, They're Floyd not gonna... Mayweather, I think, is the absolute extreme that you can look at, at his discretions that are unconscionable. And 
did not stop the public from buying his fights. I mean, that's that's a pretty clear line in the sand of what a fan base and consumers are going to look at in terms of their their entertainment in sports versus um, moral questions that y- you have to ask yourself when you're supporting such a fighter like a Floyd Mayweather Jr. Yeah, and even in the case of uh, a Floyd Mayweather, you want to see him lose. And you might hate his character, but you want to see him lose. And in Mike Tyson's case, it's the same thing. Mike Tyson, everybody's cheering for this guy because it's exciting and he's a fan favorite and they love him. And then he goes to jail for a couple of years on a rape charge. When he comes out of jail, it doesn't affect the pay-per-view draw. It doesn't affect his, his ability to draw in uh the fans the problem now is that most of these fans think he's a scumbag but they're still gonna watch it it's the same thing in pro wrestling the heel character i remember as a kid i would think to myself i'd go to bed at night and be like i hate this person i don't really know what hate is but i hate this person because every week i watch triple h on raw and he pisses me off. i dislike this person but every week you tune in because you want to see the rock beat him. you want to see austin beat him. you want to see somebody pull it off and get the victory heel characters are prevalent in every sport people can can shit on a colby covington but ultimately, he's getting clicked because they hate him so much, they just want to see him lose. You, you can talk all this nonsense, and people will say, Dylan Danis, perfect example. This man is 1-0. Jiu-Jitsu phenom. Not, not the greatest jiu-jitsu guy out there. Let's be clear on that. 1-0. But he's getting airtime every week. He's going on the MMA hour. He's getting all these plays and these clicks because he just says outrageously foolish things, and people hate him so much that his next fight will have high viewership, I guarantee it. Well, that has become almost, you know, it, it's always been that element in mixed martial arts, but it's certainly been been heightened now because if you are a fighter that is following the playbook of, of what is working, that's, that's an enormous part of it. Like the marketing side of you is going to be the difference maker between this fighter who has uh, Colby Covington. Look at that win streak he had pre this character. And I'm sorry, you could t- talk to... If you were to survey a fight night crowd leaving an arena and put a picture of Colby Covington up, I would be curious how many people could have even named this guy that had a really solid, you know, win streak in a very tough welterweight division. And he realized this was not working. Chael Sonnen did the exact same thing. He, for years, was not getting any traction and kind of hit that breaking point when he was on the 104 prelims in L.A. So when you're looking today at a Dylan Danis, like, yeah, that's a big part of it is that what is going to be more – what is going to be more beneficial for me racking up uh five six wins uh quietly or going on ariel hawani's show and just throwing like bombs at guys i mean <laughs> yeah. that is a it, it that is a strategic part for a lot of these managers now is getting their fighters out there and just what what news cycle we can create out of our fighter versus the record and th- there's an element to that like this is an entertainment business as well yeah well the cliche saying is that the the squeaky wheel gets the grease but in this concept it's that the closed mouth doesn't get fed you can't put food into the closed mouth and what that means is that it's the guy that opens out his mouth and is uh, a boisterous character that's ultimately going to get paid he's ultimately going to get uh, money at the end of the day and as much as we all love a Benil Darius a martial arts type fighter it's going to reflect in his bank account at the end of the day that Benil Darius was a great fighter a, a very good fighter but is not going to get those big name fights is not going to get that those big money contracts because he's not building up his, his persona his character Chael Sonnen you mentioned he is a prime example because unlike Colby Covington who's real realistically at this point certainly has got the goods to back it up Conor McGregor he's saying outrageous stuff and then he's going out there and one punching Jose Aldo it's all incredible feats 
Chael Sonnen's a man who had 14 losses on his professional record, and, and nobody cared. Not one person cared because he was out there telling you, selling you, this is going to be a good fight. Either you were on his side saying, oh, Chael sold me on this one. He's going to beat this man. Or you thought, I want to see Fedor beat the crap out of Chael Sonnen. He might be shot to bits. It, it doesn't matter. He can talk a game. And uh, sadly enough, that's just a trend in the sports world. Ultimately, it's these these big characters that if you are a hockey player or you are a football player, whatever the case may be, your jersey sales are going to go up from you having a character. You could be a great quarterback, but you also have to have a personality. And in fighting, there used to be a time, John, where there's 100 fighters on the roster and they're doing a card once a month. So you see the same fighters all the time. You see the Chris Liebens. You see uh, the Diego Sanchez and the Josh Koscheck. They're, they're, they're easily uh, recognizable. But now there's 400 guys on the roster. You might be lucky to fight every five, six months. You're going to really have to do something spectacular, not just with your performance, but with that little opportunity that you have to speak to the crowd and your social media presence, obviously. You've got that little opportunity to seize it because they might not see you again for four or five months. You might hurt yourself and be out for a year. So what are you going to do? You got to keep with it. Conor McGregor has not won a fight in years, but yet there's a perception that he's still one of the most elite fighters in the world, but he's got to keep his name on people's tongues. Otherwise, people say, what's Conor up to? I don't know. I haven't heard from him. But now people say, what's Conor up to? Oh, dude's crazy, man. He's smashing cell phones. When's his next fight? I don't know. I got to check that out. too. He's going to lose. He's going to lose. All right. But it, it builds up a little bit of hype for it, right? So when we look at the, the opposite of this, because this is essentially it's this kind of uh, philosophy and culture that I think has borne out what the Professional Fighters League has designed is that here is a tournament structure and all of the fighters, like they speak of the fact that I don't have to talk my way into any of this. I ha- I can just simply win. And it's also interesting because there is no incentive for a Sarah Kaufman to go out there and, and, and talk up a fight with Kayla Harrison. It's essentially, I win, I move on, and there's a prize at the end of it. Is it going too far when you're eliminating that incentive? Because I think that there, you don't want a whole promotion of wallflowers that are not going to showcase personality. I think that's a, you're limiting your audience with that as well. So what, what do you think about the PFL structure and can this be attractive to a large audience? No, I mean, it's attractive to me because I'm a fight fan. I'm a big fight fan. And a lot of the fighters are recognizable names, whether they be World Series of Fighting veterans or Bellator veterans or former UFC veterans. So it's a good talent pool. They're enjoyable fights. I like it. But as you talked about, there's no incentive to go out there and talk a good game. One, that's going to hurt your physical actual ability to sell the fights. But also there's no incentive for Jared Rochalt to go out there and take any type of risk whatsoever. It's if, nice if I, if I have a lot of viewers for my show, but my my goal is the million dollars at the end of this. It's just strictly winning. Like I I could go out and do interviews and promote this and you know promote the the brand that is paying me. But it's not as though that a great television number is going to override the fa- and to go out and take any risks. Like you want to ensure. I want to win the safest way possible because I don't want to get hurt in a structure where I've got to fight several times a year or cost myself this prize at the end. Well, that's the problem, especially with the, the tournament breaker format this year, is that if a guy like Jared Rochal went out and just simply won the first round, if he lost the second round, it didn't matter. He was going to get a push through to the next round because he won the first round tiebreaker. It was a terrible rule. But again, yeah, you're not incentivized to go out and have a crazy fight. When I look at that, those tournaments are specifically designed for guys like Lance Palmer to just absolutely cruise through because he has the style to go out there and just mitigate everybody's offense win some rounds and win but when you look at the winners it's like okay there's guys from there's 
honestly, there was a lot of Russian talent. There was a lot of guys that really didn't speak English. But then you got guys like 39-year-old Lewis Taylor, who has no personality, very low visibility, highest profile fight for Lewis Taylor. Actually, he fight uh, he fought a five-rounder. He got finished in the fifth round against Dave Branch in World Series of Fighting. But prior to that, he had a, uh, a Strike Force Challengers, I think seven, headliner against Joe Riggs back in the day. Like, this man is not on anybody's radar. A very tough competitor, not discrediting him in the slightest bit. But he's not on anybody's radar, and he's fighting at 185. He's not, he's jacked. Not the biggest middleweight. And he just won a million dollars. Sean O'Connell. Sean O'Connell had some fun fights in the UFC, but was was that lower echelon of the UFC. He sure. had some fun fights. He, he joins PFL, and it's like, you know what? If he can get a commentating gig out of that, that'd be awesome. He fights a couple fights. He wins a couple. He gets in the finals with Vinny Magalesh, and it's like, even though he was an underdog heading into the fights, like, there's a million dollars on the line. And Vinny Magalesh, who had once been knocked out by Anthony Parash in some nine seconds, there's a million dollars on the line. Lewis Taylor's fight, there's a million dollars on the line. It's crazy. So as much as we people sometimes complain about athlete pay, I would want to fight for a PFL 100%. Of course. The pay, the pay is just crazy. And it's, it's, I don't want to say C-level talent, but it's not UFC caliber talent. And it's not Bellator caliber talent. There's some tough guys. There's some tough guys got released from those other promotions because quite frankly, they couldn't really cut it. Um, and there's a million dollar payoff. It's crazy. I don't know if it's sustainable. I really don't. I would, I would think, I, I think that the, I hope the, it is because again, great paydays. I think the finances of what, what this ESPN deal would kind of bear that answer is that is this a, is this a significant amount of money that ESPN is paying for these guys that all of a sudden this does become a sustainable product? Because in, in 2019, you cannot be, you, you just can't be a successful business based solely off of ticket sales yeah, and yeah. advertising. I mean, you need that big television contract. It's not just getting on ESPN. It's getting a big deal right. from ESPN because I think that it, certainly any fighter or management, uh, you know, worth their salt is going to look at this with a skeptical eye of seeing, okay, this is on paper. This sounds great, but we have an entire history of a sport of ideas that were great on paper and the execution is have the at checks, times. have the checks cleared yet for like the winnings? Cause if they have, then it's like, man, the first season is the ultimate, you know, if, if yeah, proof absolutely. Of concept. but it, let's say they, they do get paid and they say we're doing a second season, all systems ago. Let's say I'm Rafael Asuncao. I'm a great bantamweight. I'm an elite level bantamweight. I'm getting a little bit older. When I look at the landscape of 135 pounds, I see Marlon Moraes. He just dusted me. It was tough. I see Peter Yan. I see, uh, Pedro Munoz. I see Corey Sanhagen. I see John Lineker. I see the champion TJ Dillashaw, whom has defeated me in the rematch quite soundly. Uh, Cody Garbrandt would be the eighth or ninth ranked guy in the division, realistically, at this point. Brian Caraway, there's a guy that I could be in a competitive fight with who's on the top 15. But if Rafael Sunsau was in that PFL tournament at 135 pounds, runaway favorite to win a million dollars. But if he's fighting in the UFC, he might be lucky to make 100, maybe $200,000. He'd have to fight five of those guys that I just mentioned. Five. Where he could go over here and fight... uh I don't know. Eduardo Dantas and Marcos Galvao. Joe Warren's back. You know what I mean? Like it's just, it, it, that's the level that you're dealing with. So I would say, uh, if I was managing a fighter that was a free agent, I'd be all over it. I, I just suspect that. I, I don't know. I can't, I, I really don't know. You're not steering them towards Ultimate Fighter. I'm steering them towards this. This is a great opportunity. And Bellator's gaining ground. You know, again, you can make some money and you can fight. They'll build you up. If Dylan Danis was fighting in the UFC, do you think his opponent right now would be one and two? 
No, he'd be some guy that's five and oh, six and oh, you know, some former D2 All American out of, uh, you know, Indiana. Like it would be a tough opponent, but in Bellator, you can get this guy five or six fights. He, James Gallagher, you know, he, they can headline mm-hmm. a card and he's fighting just like, again, I, I don't want to discredit anybody. Nobody that gets in there is a pots or headline a Bellator event, but he gets in there with somebody who's just clearly not on his level. He submits them in the first round. The crowd goes nuts. People watch at home. It, 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 realistically, Everybody wins. But Gallagher in the UFC, it's like he could very well lose two, three in a row. He's so young. And then it's just like discredit him, bus prospect. Mark Casey, he's fighting this weekend. Here's a guy that was 14 and 0 when he came to the UFC. And he's fought some tough guys and he's, he's lost three in a row. He's fighting Joseph Duffy, who again has also kind of had a tough road in the UFC. Yeah, tough opponent for Dia Casey. Tough opponent for sure. But it's just like, it's a, it's a throwaway. Like, oh, this guy's no good. But this guy in Bellator, maybe he loses one or two and you can build him back up and no one's going to bat an eye. So they've got a good model. UFC, it's not that they don't got a good model. It's that when you have 400 plus fighters on your roster, it's very hard to keep this machine moving. I see a lot of matchmaking that just makes utter no sense. Like, why would you have some prospect that you're trying to build up, take on some wrestler who's never been finished? You know, like there's a lot of, uh, who knows why the, the Anderson Silva fight with Jerry Cannon here. Again, it doesn't make sense. I, I don't understand it. Maybe there's a greater picture here, but the UFC's not, it's not like I, when people used to say, I miss Joe Silva, I used to think like, you're crazy. It's not Joe Silva. It's a, it's a whiteboard where people come over here and it's like, it's spreadsheets. Like it's not just one man that can sit there and handle this. I assure you. But, uh, but now that I think about it, it's like, oh man, I kind of miss Joe Silva. Like they, they had a better grasp of matchmaking a couple of years ago, in my personal opinion. And I don't think you'd have the, the littering of interim titles and i think that it's it's a combination i think joe silva had like the structure was very much changing and you've gone from what was a much more it sounds like a much more personal way of dealing with the fighters when you had a lorenzo fertita in the middle there that was kind of a middleman for a lot of these people that could get a lot of deals done and it was hey do us a favor here we'll be you know, very grateful for that. And you'd get guys showing up last minute. I think now it's much more transactional. It's, hey, we know what this is worth and I know what I'm worth. And I'm absolutely, if I'm a former champion, I am not fighting again for for anything outside of a main event because you're going from paying me points now to now I've got to get ready for a five-rounder fight night card and I'm making a fraction of what I made prior when I had pay-per-view incentive it. Yeah, it, it would be a crazy thing to actually look into because if you look at UFC 235 as an example, they released the paydays for it. And it's like every fight, the opponents had like mirror, mirror imaging salaries. It was like they had the same show money. They didn't have win bonus. It's almost as if they each had contracts designed for that one specific fight. And now that that f- it's fight's gone... You just revert back to your previous contract. Like, let's say your contract's paying you. Let's say you're Anthony Smith and you're making 42 and 42. And you get this fight with John Jones and they pay you $350,000. Do you think he's making $350,000 to show for his next fight? No, he's going back to 42 and 42. That is a hell of a swing, John. And I'm very worried in that it's not going to happen to everybody. But like you said, um, with Conor McGregor, sometimes an athlete gets to a certain level and they go crazy. Sometimes an athlete makes a little bit of money. And they just spend it in, in, in bad ways. Conor McGregor is not an example of that because he has so much money. But Derek Lewis has really have to be careful because when you see pre-fight packages of this guy driving a Lamborghini around, you got to real, realize Derek Lewis is thrown in a spot here where he had some dicey fights where people forget he was crumpled over against Travis Brown before getting that comeback win. And people forget he was getting completely annihilated by Alexander Volkov before getting that comeback win. Then you lose to Daniel Cormier and they pay you half a million. And, and now you lose over the weekend. And it's like, okay, you're still going to make three, four $400,000 out of this. 
But then beyond that, what do you do? Johnny Hendricks fell into that exact same role. He bought a restaurant. He bought a big dually 450 diesel truck. He bought some property. He bought, he made a bunch of bad purchases because he was making $2 million a year because he was the UFC welterweight champion. Now he's getting paid $65,000 to bare knuckle box Dakota Cochran, former gay porn star, lose and never even got paid. Still chasing down his money. $65,000, John. This is a guy that was spending it because it was coming in. Derek Lewis, and I love Derek Lewis. He appears to be spending it, and I just hope he knows it ain't always going to be coming in. So you want athletes to not only be smart with their uh, personality outside of the cage and not smashing cell phones and not going out and getting into fight at strip clubs, but also you want to be good with your finances, and uh, I just hope Lewis knows what he's doing. That's a good segue to the heavyweight division. We had Junior Dos Santos defeat the aforementioned Derek Lewis this past weekend. And, you know, Junior Dos Santos is probably, oh, he is. He's in a frustrating spot. He's won three straight fights, but he is in a division that is essentially on pause. It is Daniel Cormier that is not ready to fight at the moment and the hope of a challenger that is not even signed to the UFC at the moment in Brock Lesnar. And it seems that it's this waiting game and the rest of the heavyweight division just moves on in, in its absence. And I think if you're a junior Dos Santos, am I like, certainly there's a financial motivation, but beyond that to accept your next fight, like what, what am I on the road to here? Is a next win bringing me any closer or is it just keeping the heavyweight contenders bit busy? I mean, it's not as though there's a slew of contenders, but junior Dos Santos is one of them. And I'd be a, a little frustrated at this point, not knowing what the future of this title division is. When is Daniel Cormier going to fight? I don't think they have an answer. Yeah, I don't think it would be as big of a deal if he was getting paid a large lump, the exact same that he'd be making for these, you know, stay busy fights, quote unquote, than he'd be getting for the title fight. But you got to realize that when you start to get to your mid thirties and your junior to Santos, you've and been you're going to Wichita, Kansas, you're going to Wichita, Kansas, but you're on a little roll right now. It's got, like, okay, no I've, offense to <laughs> the Wichita listeners. I, I got a win streak going here. People are talking about me in title conversations. What I don't want to do is I don't want to fight Stipe Miocic again. And what I don't want to do is I don't want to fight Francis Ngannou again. Or and, not and again. I don't to, want to like fight Junior Dos Santos and Stipe Miocic fighting for out, without a title. Ew, why do I want to do that? None of the, neither guy's signing that. Put a belt on the line I'm in. I fought him twice. I'll do it well, again. And there's your but answer. But a belt That's... not on the line, especially how the last fight went, you wouldn't want to do it. And the Francis fight, it's so dangerous, you wouldn't want to do it. And if they told you, you know what, Junior... You don't want to fight Francis because he's just such a murderous power puncher. And you don't want to fight Stipe again because, hey, former champion and he beat you the last time. You can fight Curtis Blades. Like, that's a dangerous fight. This is heavyweight. They're all dangerous fights. You don't want to stay in there too long. You want to cash out on that big fight because people think, hey, this is a guy that deserves a title shot. Now would be the time to get a fight with Daniel Cormier. If they announced Junior DeSantos versus Daniel Cormier, some card in the upcoming months. And Ganu. Like, they, people they... would be on board. But it's not the fight that's going to sell. They want either Daniel Cormier or John Jones, or preferably Daniel Cormier versus Brock Lesnar. But they're not going to settle. If anything, you want to talk about interim titles, it'll be another interim title situation where Daniel Cormier will be the, the undisputed champ, but there'll be an interim title. And we're going to go Junior DeSantos versus Francis Ngannou for the interim title. And Stipe Miocic is going to challenge the winner of that. And the winner of that will now be the undisputed and he'll fight the winner of our other little trio so they're getting themselves into a, a problem but at least with heavyweight traditionally in the past it's like we don't really have contenders they have a good problem right now that it's like okay our our best guys are locked up in daniel cormier and potentially if we can get 
not our best guy, but our biggest draw on Brock Lesnar, if we can get him back, if those guys are locked up, at least we have Junior. At least we have Francis. At least we have a Curtis Blaze that's going to come back in the comeback trail. At least we have an Alistair Overeem that's a tough out for everybody out there. Um, at least we have pieces that we can move along, and we'll give these guys another eight months. We'll try to do the fight in the summer. I could see them trying to do it in July, maybe uh a summer card anyways but if they're unable to do it then daniel cormier is not getting any younger he's got to make a decision i'm either going to retire he's, uh, days away from turning 40 his uh his previous deadline was uh not so much of a deadline <laughs> yeah i mean uh yeah i i, I hope something and, and listen i i don't think he should be in a rush to come back like he did a big solid for them fighting Derek lewis on very short notice was not 100 percent healthy by any stretch going into that fight i'm not saying he he needs to be rushing to come back but if one of the prime reasons is just waiting out Brock Lesnar, I don't know if that's the most um, responsible waiting game if you're the UFC, because I, I I don't know if Brock Lesnar really has. He's in the USADA testing pool. We know that much. But I think that when push comes to shove, I think if he gets the offer he wants from WWE, he's staying there. Yeah, I think when you're 40-year-old Daniel Cormier and you have a wife and kids and you have a home and you have all these accolades. And you just made and millions for and your you last just, fight. You just made millions of dollars. Probably you're, had his best year easily in 2018 financially. You're a former Olympian. You have 20 pro fights. I don't think this guy's sitting on his couch being like, I want to fight next month. No, that's done. He'll fight when the right opportunity presents itself and he will get himself in shape and he'll do what he has to do. So if you're Daniel Cormier and the options are presented to you is, okay, Daniel, we, we all know or we're getting this feeling you've got one more left in you and you want one big fight. The Brock Lesnar fight, you and Brock do a million pay-per-views. Hopefully, anyways, it's going to do a million pay-per-views. And you, because you're the champ champ and you are, you know, pound for pound and you got two belts and, and it's bigger, the pay-per-view headliner of a big pay-per-view, you're going to get some good points off this. Million pay-per-views, good points, big money. If you fight John Jones, Jeez, hard to imagine that that's not pushing a million, maybe eight, nine hundred thousand. At heavyweight, I think that's bigger than Brock Lesnar. Perfect. That's a nice payday, John. I want to fight Brock because I truthfully believe I could beat him and my career goes off in the sunset and it'd be an awesome way. But if I fight John again for the right price, if I beat him, that's a better sunset ending. But if I lose, if you beat like, John Jones at heavyweight, you really are the greatest of all time. The greatest of all time. Right. I, I don't think there's a question then at heavyweight. So those are so appealing. But like taking a fight with Steve Amiocic because he's crying on Twitter, like that's a bad idea. Also, it would sell five or six hundred thousand pay reviews. Maybe I if don't that. know. I, if that Steve is not a big draw, and all, you need a great supporting cast, obviously. But again, you're going to get paid a fraction of it because of the actual pay-per-view buys. Maybe they give you a decent show money, but you're not even going to get a win bonus on it for the most part at that level. <sighs> what would incentivize you to be like, I want to fight three months earlier for half the money? No, you'll, you'll wait. You'll wait the six months. You'll wait the eight months, and you'll take the money. And uh, deservedly so, because he's owed it. There's other champions out there that I thought have said, I want to wait for a money fight. They, 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 they didn't deserve it. But Daniel Cormier, this man can do whatever he wants, and nobody can say anything against that. As we look at 2019, I think that it's, it's, I don't think it's that overly optimistic to expect a Conor McGregor fight. Like one fight, 2019. I expect Conor to fight probably once a year. Yep. Uh, that's probably his schedule these days. That said, in a, in an era where, you know, pay-per-view is still enormous for them. They've got this extreme, extremely lucrative deal with ESPN as well, but pay-per-view is still a big driver for them. John Jones is a valuable piece to them in 2019. He is coming off two solid pay-per-view numbers that are absolutely on his shoulders for, for carrying. And I think that this card with Anthony Smith, 
I thought it was going to do around 400. It did exceedingly above that. I think 560 is the neighborhood. That is a tremendous number in 2019. And you have a guy that says, I want to fight as much as I can this year. I mean, this is why the the bizarre relationship between the UFC and John Jones is such as it is, because they are going to bend over backwards to acquiesce to John Jones, like, this guy's willing to fight for us. Well, we are going to... We're all ears. We are not putting any roadblocks in front of this guy. If he wants to be fighting Anthony Smith, if he wants to be fighting Tiago Santos, if this guy wants to be fighting Johnny Walker, we will line them up at 205 pounds. Is that... Is is John Jones just at, at light heavyweight? Is it still attractive to you seeing him fight? Let's be honest. Like, there's a big gap between number one and number two at that division at the moment. Or are you ready to see John Jones... Make that inevitable leap to heavyweight. No, I don't mind seeing him fight whoever, just because I consider myself old school in the regard that, like, Sugar Ray Robinson, he fought all comers. Like, you, you're not always going to fight the best guy. You just, you're fighting all the time. And in, in Muay Thai, it's the same thing. These guys got two, three hundred fights. They got 40 losses, John. But like nobody cares. It's like you're 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 there to do combat. So I don't mind. Like when he was when he this fought. This is also like this, this is, is cool his weight class. And I oh yeah, he's the king. I, of I'm against the notion that once you're so great at one weight class, you have to move up. Like let's find let's find a handicap for you by going up to a weight class where you're going to be. John Jones is not going to be the biggest heavyweight at, if he, if he moves up. It's almost as though well let's let's tie a, a, your arm behind your back and see how well you can do. It's like. You're you're the best light heavyweight in the world. So if this guy wants to just cruise at this division while I want to see some of those heavyweight fights, if I'm John Jones and the people around him, I'm saying, listen, if you're happy at light heavyweight, dude, let's not rock the boat. Pressure's going to get to you, though, because the same thing happened with Demetrius Johnson. It's like you are so good at 125 pounds. There's no sense of ever leaving. But the problem is is you're fighting Chris Carriasso. You're fighting Mm -hmm. John Moraga. People get tired of it eventually. And when you're making money based off how your pay-per-view performs – like he's doing very good business with you know Anthony Smith and Alexander Gustafson, but what would a John Jones fight with a Stipe Miocic represent? With a Cain Velasquez, with a Daniel Cormier? I mean, those are those are big big fights. Yeah, but you build it up because he's been off for so long that uh you know it, you you got to get the train rolling again. So it's like he beats Alexander Gustafson, you know, a, a version of Alexander Gustafson, not a great version of him, but he beats Gustafson, a name opponent. Now he's got to beat. Anthony Johnson. And now he's going to go out and he's going to beat uh, a Johnny Walker. And to anybody that says, oh, wh- what's he doing? Dude, that's light heavyweight. Like, they have that issue. Uh, people very often forget, what was Daniel Cormier's last title defense at 205? Volkan Uzdemir, a guy who literally came into the UFC, won a split decision over Avin St. Pru, had a couple knockouts over Misha and Jimmy Manuel, and is tossed into a world title fight. It's a problem that they have. But... You stay active. Just fans always want to see if you're so good. We want to see you tested. We want to see more. We know Demetrius Johnson's great at 125, but what would he look like at 135? Khabib. Khabib's in a situation now that, geez, he looks so dominant at 155. People are always like, I want to see him versus Askren. I want to see him versus Colby. Oh, I wonder how he would do versus Kamara Usman. Those guys are all welterweights. Why are you talking about how he would fare against welterweights? He's a lightweight. Because people want to see that challenge. Oh, you're dominant at 55. Try doing that to somebody else. Someone who's bigger than you. Like there's weight classes for a reason. Yeah. If you're a great fighter, well, why, what would, what would make you want that challenge? One, the challenge of a martial artist is I think deep down at the root of it, you truly believe that you could beat the other man and two, the financial gain. And I think of John Jones, continue doing what you're doing, selling these pay-per-views. Like you mentioned, they're selling. So why would you not just keep popping them out really quick? And he's another example of, as going back to how we started this whole conversation with Conor McGregor, why bad publicity is not necessarily a bad thing. This is a guy that had a DUI prior to him getting that other one where he hit a pregnant lady's car. She breaks her arm. He flees the seat of the crime, comes back, flees again, positive drug test, 
a, a scuffle at a press conference with Daniel Cormier. Like this guy's a bad guy, but he gets off a suspension and he beats Augustuson. And everybody all fight week, John. They're talking about Johnny. Jeez, the DUI, bad guy, cocaine, testing. That that week was a he learning beat? lesson for everyone. Sold yeah. out that arena in two days yeah. and did a tremendous on pay-per-view. How many questions did he get about any of that stuff in the fight week for Anthony Smith? Zero. Because nobody cared anymore. Because you, you get one performance and you get rolling and people want to see you again. And his pay-per-views are selling better. Wouldn't you look at that? So the fact that the UFC is willing to do business with this guy and keep pumping out fights, because as you mentioned, hey, it makes money. We bought this company for $4 billion. And uh, so we, we, sorry, we bought this company for an, an exceedingly amount of money. We need to get some money out of it. Guys like John Jones, if we don't have Ronda, she's never coming back. And we don't have Conor McGregor, who's maybe going to fight once a year. This guy's our third cash cow. Maybe behind Brock. I don't know. But maybe he's better than Brock. Who knows? This is our cash cow. And he wants to fight four times a year. Bad guy? I don't care if he's a bad guy. You're rolling with it. And that's what they're going to do. And, the, and the, he'll he'll fight all comers until either he slips up and it's some crazy thing. Buster Douglas beat Mike Tyson like it'll happen eventually. Or he'll eventually say, okay, now I'm 35 years old. And now I'm starting to get a little bit of soreness. And now I'm not as eager to fight four times a year because I was off for two years. I really want to fight. And I fought a bunch. I'm starting to burn out a little bit. Okay, I'll take that big fight at heavyweight, and then I, too, will sail off into the sunset. So I, they've, they've got options because they're big-name fighters, but uh, you got to be smart with some of these things. Do you see him fighting International Fight Week? Does that, does that seem to line up to be a, a likely target for him? I guess, you know, if you can get Conor McGregor, I don't know if you put both of those guys together. Those, to me, are two pay-per-views. You're almost, you know, you, you can get two solid numbers out of that rather than put the two together. But... um and curious as well, what is his next challenge at light heavyweight? Is Johnny Walker is interesting because you're going to have that what if question. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. that's that's a it's a great uh, kind of marketing tool to just show these guys highlights and say, can he catch John Jones? It's not like these are fluke shots he's landing. Like these are, you know, you see him faint. Like this is this guy coming out there with that that game plan. It's it's the kind of question that I think a, pe- a lot of people latch onto. Like, can this this guy's been able to do this to this level of competition. Can he catch John Jones? It's it's interesting. Of course, you have Tiago Santos there in the mix as well. Yeah, Tiago Santos is, the to me, the obvious choice because mm-hmm. you have the same questions. Like, could he yeah. theoretically? When you fight John Jones, I think going into the fight, and there's what? Maybe one or two people that are an exception to this, this theory. But when you go into the fight, you're basically giving up the advantage in every element. You probably don't have better cardio than him. You probably don't have better wrestling than him. You're not a better striker than him. You're, you're not likely going to submit this guy. You have to rely... On the one thing that makes combat sports great, punches chance, baby. People love punches chance, but you have to legitimately have punches chance. And whereas Anthony Smith is being billed as punches chance, whereas Ovin St. Pru is being billed as punches chance, those guys aren't real power punchers. They're not, they're not one punch known for my power punching ability. Now, Anthony Johnson was, and that was a fight that everybody wanted to see, and it didn't happen, and it's a shame it didn't happen. Yeah, it was a really interesting fight. But Tiago Santos and Johnny Walker, that's like the next best thing. Like, here's two guys that are going to explode on him. He'll be a 7-1 to favorite over either man all day, but they have that ability that maybe they're going to explode and catch him. I feel like Tiago Santos has got certainly a better body of work right now. He deserves it. He's looking at 205. And even look at that Jan Blockwitz fight. Jan's fighting a good fight. He's a very patient fighter. He's a guy that goes to decision routinely, and he's got a cast iron chin. Jan Blockwitz is fighting a smart game plan with Tiago Santos. I'm going to keep this guy at bay. And eventually, you 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 stand in front of a guy long enough, he's going to land that one shot. That's all Tiago Santos needed. When you look at John Jones, sometimes he does that. He gets into a lull where he stands in front of you. I don't want to say playing with your food, 
But everybody and their mother thought John Jones was going to eat up Anthony Smith, but the fight goes five rounds because sometimes John Jones, just like George St. Pierre, they're dominating you so bad, they don't get the finish. It's just pure and absolute domination, but that's it. Tiago Santos, you could be dominating him, but you give him that opportunity. Johnny Walker, maybe he lands a flying knee. Maybe he lands a spinning back fist. Maybe something crazy happens. People will buy it. People will, will buy into it. But eventually, yeah, once he's beaten everybody in the division, he's going to have to take that bigger challenge or people will stop buying the pay-per-views. They'll get sick of it, whatever the case may be. But for the time being, it's like, there's still fun fights for him. There's still, and other contenders, here's the greatest thing. If he fights three times, he fights Tiago Santos and then he fights, uh, Johnny Walker and then he fights one other emerging contender. There's still going to be guys like Dominic Reyes that are on their way up that are getting better. And then he, he's going to have three more wins over that same period of time too. And he might pick up a couple nice wins. You know, he just beat OSP. He's got a big fight coming up this weekend. This guy's, you know, 29 years old, former football player, great athlete. He's going to be like, it, there's always going to be contenders. contenders will always build. You just got to kill time. And think John's, of that, John's just killing time. Think of that division. Days. If one or both of Luke Rockhold or Chris Weidman decide light heavyweight is where I want to fight at now, you're telling me one of those guys winning a fight or two at 205, they're not right at the top of that. And that's Yo Romero at 205. Are you sure? Me? I think that's fantastic news. Paulo Burchina, don't know what's going on there. Paulo Costa, but. I'd love to see this guy at 205. Like, 205 is so thin that a lot of these guys would really, they'd realize, oh man, I feel way better at 205. And I'm way faster than these guys. Middleweights are a lot faster than light heavyweights. They 20 pound difference. They're naturally smaller, but they're quicker and they pack pretty similar power. These guys could do well. I don't know about Luke Rockhold because I don't know that he can take the damage. And Chris Weidman, the neck surgeries makes me worried. But yeah, give me those guys two years ago at 205. Absolutely, John. And that, that'll be the case. People will move up and down. New contenders will emerge. And John Jones, he, he's great right now. He'll continue to just beat up the run of the mill guys right now, have some fun fights, some intriguing fights here and there. But somebody eventually will come and challenge the throne because this is the animal kingdom and a young lion always eventually has to go take the mantle from the, from the old lion. And John Jones, it sounds like he's just like a kid still, but he's not like he's been around the game for a long time. He's the only other person, in my opinion, that's got a claim to the pound for pound greatest of all time. Um, but he's at this test. So it's George, my opinion, but like, this is a phenomenal martial artist. He's got to keep active. He's got to keep doing what he's doing. And I, and I expect him to, and not knee people in the head when you're cruising to a unanimous decision victory. Yeah. 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 You know, Greg Hardy knees a man in the head while he's on the ground and everyone's like, I knew this guy was piece shit. I knew it. And then John does it. And they're like, Oh, come on, Johnny. <laughs> like everyone's just like back on his side. Like what, if you're really good and you're really dominant, uh, People absolutely just forget. They do. They do not care. Not everybody. Some people are. They're. They're truists. They're purists. Listen. If there's the one thing part, we can say definitively about John Jones, it's his decision making capabilities in various situations is pretty poor. Um, let's just quickly uh, chat a bit about this weekend's card because uh, we do have Dominic Reyes fighting uh, Volkan Ozdemir, and then on top. Two interesting welterweight fights, Gunnar Nelson taking on Leon Roberts, or Leon Edwards. Uh, Leon Roberts, maybe he'll be the third man in the cage that night. And then uh, Jorge Masvidal in the main event against Darren Till. I'm kind of curious to see what kind of performance we get out of Darren Till because, man, he was smoked by Tyron Woodley in September. I mean, that was just a dominant performance uh, from Woodley. And w- welterweight is, man, it's it's a very difficult 
division to navigate and having a new champion on top in Kamaru Usman uh, kind of changes the dynamic a bit. So I think that that's there, there's a lot of interest in this. I, I won't say there's a ton of interest in this card on Saturday, but a lot of interesting fights, I will say. Yeah, well, the main event looks good, certainly on paper. I have a nagging suspicion and God, I hope I'm wrong, but it could be a bad fight. It could be a bad fight over the course of five, similar to a Wonder Boy versus Till where now the guy pulls the trigger. But uh, yeah, I think there's a there, there's there's big um, there's a big reward at the end of whoever is the winner of this fight. I think Ben Askren specifically calling out the winner of this fight, very interesting because, yeah, he probably should fight Robbie Lawler again, but if he doesn't, he's a hot commodity right now. People got their eyes on him. So if you're a George Mazadal or a Darren Till and you happen to win this weekend and you can get a fight with Ben Askren, you can pull out that victory, you're right back in the thick of things. Two fights and you could potentially be uh, putting a claim down for for being a top contender in the division. So I think that there's a good reward on the line for both guys. With Darren Till, he's fighting at home. He's 25. He's the much larger man than George Monsville. It seems to all be there, but this is a case of um, bigger is not necessarily better. I think a lot of time when people look at MMA, they think, like, man, this guy's got a size advantage. He's a big guy. Darren Till fought Yesen Ayari in the UFC. He weighed in 176 pounds. It was a bad performance for him. He landed, like, 38 significant strikes. Not a particularly good performance. The Donald Cerrone fight, you know, he smoked him out early, but he weighed in 174 for that fight. When he fought Tyron Woodley John, I was shocked because this is a large man for the division. He weighed in at 169 pounds on the dot. Like, damn, does he got it figured out? He threw no significant strikes. He landed no significant strikes throughout the entire course of the fight. Did not do anything in the first round. Looked super lethargic. Got taken down. And then he says afterwards, hey, I'm 25 years old. Still got my career ahead of me. I think I might move up to middleweight. So when I see him now booked back at 170, what's to stop this guy from having another bad weight cut standing in front of George Mazadal? And the thing there is, whereas I want to say George Mazadal just outwork him, George Mazadal is the king of also standing in front of you and just like fighting to your level. It, up until recently, George Mazadal had never been blown out since the Gilbert Melendez fight in Strike Force. Right. Like all of his losses, split decisions to Benson Henderson, split decision to, to, uh, Lorenz Larkin, his split decision lost to Ally Quinta. He changed Ally Quinta's life in that first round, but then lost two and three, uh, due to inactivity. He's always in these close fights, usually decision, but he's always in close fights. And then his last fight against Stephen Thompson, he looked completely disinterested. His fight prior to that, Damian Maya, a split decision again. He looked a fatigue in the third round. And when you see him now, it's just a case of this guy's fought his entire life. Like he was fighting in backyards with Kimbo Slice, fighting his protege Ray back in the day. Like he's been around. I don't know that he's like fully committed. I don't think George Masvidal is, goes to bed at night thinking, I'm going to get a shot at the title. He knows his place. He's a 55 veteran. He's been around the block. He knows his place. He can, he can fight young up and comers like Darren Till. But he's just, it looks like sparring sometimes with him. He's just going through the motion. Two years ago, George Mazadal, this card outside of Europe, I'd, I'd, I'd be on George Mazadal. But I, I think Darren Till uh, probably is in a close competitive fight and we'll get the judge's decision. But there's a lot of ramifications from this fight. I think there's a lot of ramifications from the Gunnar Nelson fight because Gunnar's a guy that people have been very high on for years. And it looks, the glimpses of brilliance have always been there if he pulls it together. And Dominic Reyes, most certainly for me, is a very big prospect to watch out to sure. the division that needs guys. And, and and if you need any reason in the world for why you should tune into this card, Jack Marshman's fight should be unreal because uh both guys are basically just going to, him and John Phillips are going to stand in front of each other and just absolutely slug it. Not going past two rounds. It'll be a very fun time. And uh it's an afternoon card, John. Do you know how unbelievably nice that is? Getting early start time, finishing up by six o'clock. You might have plans later that night. I'm I'm all for these European early start 
early start time cards. Love them. I love the earlier start times in general. Now that we're getting main cards at eight o'clock, it's just, it's insane. Yeah. So yeah. Couldn't agree more. A big plus, literally, from ESPN. Plus. <laughs> uh, are you aware? Till, Mosfidal, Leon Edwards, three of the four welterweights here, all with wins over Donald Cerrone over the past two years. Yeah. Donald Cerrone. Gunnar Nelson is the only one who's, uh, <laughs> without a win over one. Donald Cerrone. Yeah, and if you're a UK... And yet it's Donald Cerrone who's on the cusp of perhaps landing one of the biggest fights ever. Yeah, well, the, all of those guys actually had victories over Donald Cerrone prior to Donald Cerrone having a child. Because now that Donald Cerrone is a dad, he seems to be a man on a mission. And uh, yeah, very dangerous. But yeah, I, I think with this card, people will say, well... It's a glorified Cage Warriors card. Oh, well, it's a European talent card. When you look at the top two fights, it's the two best welterweights in the UK and Leon Edwards and Till. But ultimately, between the, the top two fights, you're looking at four of the top 10 best guys in the division. Uh, it's very interesting, and I'm looking forward to it. Uh, let's let's wrap up discussing uh, the welterweight division. You wanted to talk about uh, Kamaru Usman defeating Tyron Woodley recently. It's, you know, very... Very tough road ahead, I feel, for Tyron Woodley. I know that he's campaigning for this rematch. I don't think he has a prayer of landing an immediate rematch. I think that this guy is going to have to certainly work for it. And I think his best opportunity is going to be just stay active in the hopes that Kamaru Usman is scheduled for a fight and his opponent falls out and Woodley is ready to replace somebody on you know, two, three weeks notice. No, see, Woodley falls in the position of some of those other guys we talked about, like a Daniel Cormier or, uh, you know, whoever it may be that wants to sit on the sideline and find that right fight. He wants to fight for the title because it's the biggest money fight that he can make right away. But like, what are some of the other fights? I think that he'll he can... be warming the bench for a long time if he's waiting for that. <sighs> he's, he's, what, what incentive bench? is there for the UFC to make this guy happy? I mean, it's not as though we're sitting on a 500,000 by pay per view fight for Tyron Woodley. I mean, it, like, unfortunately, like that, that's the reality of things is like your drawing power. That is your currency. That's your leverage you get to play with. And if you don't have, if you're not, if you don't have, you know, four aces that you're hiding, like it's, they're going to call your bluff. Yeah, but the fight game is a very funny thing, right? So on one hand, I completely agree with you. I don't think he's going to get a, a, a rematch because of the way that the, the fight concluded, obviously. And I don't think he's the next guy in line. But if he takes these fights in the interim, he runs the risk of losing a fight. If he loses a fight, that title shot's gone forever. But sitting on the bench is something that Tyron Woodley's done while he was an active champion. He doesn't mind sitting out. He's got money. Again, this is an older fighter and now getting into his late 30s. His best days might be behind him. Why go up and fight some of these up-and-comers? While he was the champion, John, he was openly campaigning to fight guys like Conor McGregor and Nate Diaz. He did not want to fight the number one challenger in the division. And what he certainly doesn't want to do is have to work him his way back up a ladder. Now, and again, without a championship, again, where you go to the dilemma that I don't think gets a lot of attention is that you go from, you know, Tyron Woodley's pay-per-views were not the biggest in the world, but nonetheless, you were you were paid as a champion and you go into non-title main events and you're suddenly either third from the top on a pay-per-view, not getting points, or headlining a fight night card, there's a financial discrepancy there, and you're, you're still putting in all the work fighting the toughest guys. Like, that's a big... Um that's difficult for, for guys to mentally adjust to. Yeah, for sure. But also, it's like, who does he fight? Does he fight Rafael Dos Anjos? Does he fight George Masvidal? Mm -hmm. Does he fight rematches Robbie Lawler? It's like, yeah, he, he smoked him the first time. But it's like, do you do you really want to do that fight again? It's like, the division's got guys that are just lurking around that are all tough. A, a Neil Magny could theoretically pose a lot of problems to Tyron Woodley. If he just closes the distance, get up, try to tire him out. Imagine it's a three-round co-main event fight, and you're able to just squeak out two rounds. Now this man loses... It's over for him. But now he's, if he's a realist, and the fact that he wants a title shot, uh, media, I, maybe he's not. But if he's a realist on this, he'll say, okay, Usman's going to fight Colby next. 
And if Colby wins that fight, I can get a fight with Colby. And so sit out the eight months and let Colby yeah, fight and then talk that's... some shit and get your fight for the title, which is what he wants. Get that payday. But you don't want to try to fight one of these up and comers. You don't want to fight Stephen Wonderboy Thompson for a third time. You don't want to fight any of the, because it's like, this is a fist fight in a three round fight, unless you're headlining, which you probably would be headlining some fight night. But again, it's like a fight has got risk. And you, because you're the former champion, you can't just fight nobody you have to fight somebody that's elite and the reason i said mostly i want to talk about it and how i'm going to tie it into the george champierre thing there's a lot of people saying that tyron Woodley could have been a better welterweight than george and it has nothing to do with him just losing here to uzman is everything that when he was the champion tyron woodley was he fought um stephen thompson twice a karate guy the first time he lost three of the five rounds but because of the 10-8 he gets a draw the second time a lot of people thought he lost it was a terrible fight but he won then he fights a 40 year old jiu-jitsu guy Damian Mai, he stuffs the takedowns. It's a bad fight, John. It's a terrible fight. But he wins. And blows his shoulder out. <laughs> yeah. Then he fights Darren Till, a 25-year-old British Muay Thai fighter. It's a bad stylistical matchup for this young kid who got bright lights, championship. He's so young. It's a bad style clash. And he look he looks good there. But he beats Darren Till. Now he's the greatest welterweight of all time. He hasn't fought all the different styles. George fought the best wrestlers that he could. He fought Johnny Hendricks. He fought John Fitch. He fought Josh Koscheck. He fought the best strikers he could. He fought Carlos Condit. He fought Tiago Alves. He fought the best kind of jiu-jitsu guy, Nick Diaz, let's say. I mean, he fought all comers from every style. Tyron's looked very lackluster in his title defenses. Smashing Robbie's crazy. But you know, this is the fight game. Sometimes that, that's what happens. Remember when Hendricks was putting Campman asleep or putting John Fitch asleep? It's a big highlight reel. But like, what does it really show you? It's cool. But that was all it was. And George lost his belt to Matt Sarah, and he faced that adversity, and he came back, and he won it, and he went on a great run that culminates moving up a weight class and winning. If Tyron Woodley comes back and beats Usman, defends that belt once or twice more, and moves up to middleweight, then he's in the conversation. But until then, it's not even close. I I, I don't disagree. I, I think that Tyron Woodley is – I think he's an exceptional fighter, and I – I'm not writing him off based on that one performance uh, that we, that we just saw with Usman, but it was it was a demoralizing fight to watch of a guy that just could not flip that gear in any of those rounds. Like you're you're just thinking like, man, he he, it's a bad first round for him, and he's gonna come alive in the second, and it just it just never happened. It was a concerning fight to watch, but one that like I very much I I hope that we we see him come back at some point um you know i have no i no uh, idea that he would step away but it's tough like it reminded me of when ben Askren beat andre koroshkov in just dominant fashion in bellator and i remember that night thinking this guy is either going to never recover from this loss or he will come back better than ever and to andre koroshkov's credit i think he came back a better fighter after just being humiliated in that fight to Ben Askren, and I think Tyron Woodley was a much bigger stage losing to Kamaru Usman in, in the fashion of which he did. Yeah, I think if you just look at traditionally throughout the history of MMA, when an older champion loses the belt to a younger champion and has an immediate rematch, it almost never goes their way. Now, this was a different type of defeat, but when Chris Weidman beat Anderson Silva, they make an immediate rematch, but you knew, you knew Weidman had just had his number. It was time. It Holloway, happened. Aldo. Holloway, Aldo. When it, the second fight got made, you just knew. TJ Dillashaw versus Hendon Burrell. When the second fight got made, it was like, there's no need, boys. We've seen it. But you know what? This guy's got a legacy, this former champion. He's done a lot, and we want to give him a title fight, and we're going to put him back in there. But... You're an aging fighter who the best years of your career, they were great years, John, 
the best of your days of your career, maybe they're a little bit behind you. You're still competitive, but you can't hang with these young whippersnappers anymore. But we owe you one, so we're going to throw you back in there. But they don't get the title back. They don't get the title back and go on some glorious run. It's almost this is how it is. And in Usman's case, I think 29 or 30 years old, He's in the prime of his career. Physically, when you look at him, it's like, my God, it's going to be tough for people to fight him. He's got good striking. He's super rangy. His wrestling's off the chart. Cardio, four days. And the other guys in the division, the Colby Covingtons and the Ben Askren, man, these guys got great cardio too. And whereas I used to be, Tyron Woodley's a great wrestler. These guys are all great wrestlers. It starts to catch up to you eventually. So you lose that bell. And I don't think it makes you hungry to the point that I'm going to wake up and I'm going to push my body twice as hard. You're 36 years old. Can you push your body twice as hard? Can you make, can you make those adjustments? Can you just, can you just run more miles? And, and like, he was outgunned everywhere. So it's a tough spot for him. Yeah. I, I don't want to say that it's the end of the road. I mean, yes, a talented fighter, a guy that's been in there and, and he's done it, but he's been around for a long time in the sense of he's got mileage under him. He's made money. He's not going to fight some no name contender for small amounts of money. I, I, if you were to give me the over under on, three fights left in Woodley's career I, I would say I would say three about is about what he's got maybe maybe he takes one big one and mm-hmm. that sets him up for a fight with Colby or Usman if he's able to get one big win and then maybe he loses that and then rides away but he's got a commentating gig he's a smart guy he's good with his money unlike Derek Lewis he, he he could be theoretically pretty good here. You're really holding this Lamborghini against Derek Lewis. I just, I feel bad because Johnny did the same thing. And I know what you're thinking. Johnny and, and Lewis, outside of being UFC fighters, have nothing in common. But they Texas. do, John. They're from Texas. <laughs> and things are bigger in Texas. And you want a dually truck in a steakhouse. And unfortunately, <laughs> taxes are also real high in Texas. And so uh, it'll get you. Uh, final thing here. Your favorite George St. Pierre moment on the heels of his uh, recent retirement. What is the what is the fight that defines George St. Pierre or a memory you have? Yeah, the the last fight with Michael Bisping. I know I don't know if that's a cop out, but for me, that's the only time in George St. Pierre's entire career I ever doubted him. Because you know when he was rolling, he was the man. He's the king of Canada. We all back him every single fight. And you're in the same boat as me. I scored him winning Johnny Hendricks. I know mm-hmm. people think that's crazy. I thought he won three to two. He got smoked in those two rounds. I don't think they were ten eights, but it was the old criteria, anyways. But it's like George was the man. I never went into a George Champagne fight ever thinking he's going to be in trouble. And now you give this guy four-year layoff after the beating that he did take against Johnny Hendricks. Confidence is shook. Maybe he doesn't look like he has it anymore. As I talk about Tyron Woodley, best years are gone. George spends four years on the sideline, blows out both knees, has them both worked on, moves up a weight class. If you ever met George, you have five foot ten, not a big guy. He moves up to 185 pounds. Body actually apparently shuts down because he can't even support the weight. And not only just goes out there and beats Michael Bisping, puts on a master class performance and beats him in every single aspect of a fight. It was like, this guy's uh, above special. Like that, that to me was something. And yeah, he didn't fight against Whitaker and he didn't fight against Romero and he didn't defend the title, but it was like, I don't care. That, that to me, because I went going in, I thought he's too small. He'll, he, if he struggles to take down Bisping, and Chael Sonnen struggled to take down Bisping, Tim Kennedy didn't, but you know what I mean. Bisping can wrestle. If he struggles, how's he going to stand with Bisping over a prolonged period of time? He's getting touched up by Johnny, and he thought that hurt. He'll get touched up by Bisping. But, like, he's the man. He is. And he's a guy that never smashed a cell phone on the ground. He's a guy that never was out at some bar. He saw aliens one time, apparently got abducted. But, but outside of that, George is, like, the model character. Like, he literally is... Just a good dude, good representative. So uh, hats off to him. And I don't want to see him come back because he he has earned this legacy and he should enjoy it. I know some guys always flirt with the idea. It's like, 
It's been done. It's cool. Thanks for everything. It's, you know, if you want to make the argument that at the moment, you know, probably if you're to ask who, who's the best fighter today in the world, you're probably going to get a lot of John Jones and a lot of Habib Nurmagomedov. Yeah. Those are probably the two most likely options. And not to say I would pick George St. Pierre to beat Nurmagomedov, but I can certainly make the case for it. And does that not summarize where this guy is that he's walking out where I feel he'd be really competitive with one of the greatest fighters in the world in Nurmagomedov. Maybe the, maybe the best fighter in the world. Pull, pull out, pull out Usman out of that fight a couple of weeks ago and replace him with George on a, on a full camp. Don't you think George could have done the exact same fight. thing? Very interesting. George's got fight. good striking. George, George can smother you. George can tire you out. George can push your pace for five rounds. Hey, maybe this guy just retired being, I could have just beat the best welterweight right now that they're saying this guy's rivaling my legacy. He's so good. I, I very well or could maybe defeat this man. And I could very well defeat one of the top two guys in the world, uh, you know, pound for pound, the lightweight king, Khabib. So yeah, he's walking away at the height of his career and you never see that. And I, I was talking about like Sugar Ray Robinson and stuff. Like all of these guys, Muhammad Ali, all, all of them, they all took beatings at the end of their career. They all stuck around too long. And when you talk about a Johnny Hendricks and you talk about, you know, some of these guys, they stuck around a little too long. George did the right thing. And that's why it's like, not only can you, am I impressed with walking away at the right time? I'm impressed with just his entire body of work. I'm impressed with his character, both in and out of the cage. And here's a guy that like, you know, his dad will send him 50 pictures and be like, yeah, the kids at this nursing center are big fans, sign them all and he'll do it. You know what I mean? Like, he's just a good dude. So I have a nagging suspicion, small. I should, I honestly shouldn't even say this right now because I'm not wearing my tinfoil hat, but like the guy's probably a robot. He's just like almost too perfect outside of his knees shooting out on him. Like he's literally just like seemingly an incredible person. So it is what it is, John. Well, we'll end on that note. Uh, listen, having interviewed him th- during several of those fight weeks, I believed he was a robot during <laughs> some of those interviews. And when I, when I interviewed him right after when he announced the sabbatical in 2013, it was a different person. He was so happy, and I'm sure he's in that space right now, like that pressure. It's in a, it, it, we'll, we'll never fully appreciate the pressure someone in that position has to not only be the best, to stay the best. And you work for months towards a goal. You achieve that goal, and then two hours later, you're at a press conference being asked, when are you going to do this all over again? And it's just – it never ends, and it's never going to end. There will always be another fight. There will always be another question to to ask, and sometimes fighters have to realize, I can leave right now with those questions being unanswered. And that's what he did with Nurmaga Madov, and I don't think it, it harms his legacy at all. He leaves – if you want to make the case he's the greatest fighter of all time, you have a really compelling case to make. Yeah, I found some old media material actually the other day from like – early 2000 or like early i think 2010 2011 and uh george st pierre and john jones really for the most part a lot of it they're the only two consistents in all of it because you see uh, kane velasquez and you see ronda rousey and you see hen and and you see jose aldo and you see all these different chris wyman or was anderson so then it's chris wyman and then it's luke rockhold and then it's everything changes because once you get to the highest part of the mountain Every single person below you is gunning for you. Rory McDonald with the number two guy in the world. Don't you feel the pressure of people being like, you should fight him. You should fight him. It's like everything's pressure. I can't even have a friend who's remotely talented because people are going to be like, you should fight this man. It's all, but through all of that, he stays at the top of the mountain. So when you look at the banner now, he's gone, but John's still there. When you look at like all this press material, it's like all these divisions have realistically had like two, 
three more. Carlos Sparza is there. Then she loses it to Joanne and Jacek. And then Joanne and Jacek loses it to Rose. And then let's say Rose is to lose it to an Andrade or whatever the case. It's like every division has four new champions. But those guys held it down. John had a couple years on the sideline. George for the most part. But you know what I mean? It's like it's an incredible testament of being able to compete at the highest level for that amount of time. And I think when you look at special athletes in other sports, whether it's a Roger Federer, it's because he's able to do that for a long period of time, right? A Cristiano Ronaldo. You're able to do that for a long period of time. It's all about longevity. You could be the greatest in the world for two, three years, but can you be the greatest in the world for a decade? George says yes. And I, yeah, it looks like he proved it to me. Cody, it's always great chatting with you. The time flies by. We'll definitely have to do this again sometime soon. Uh, where can people follow you and what do you have going on? Yeah, so always on Twitter, at CJ Saftik. Love to talk fight picks. Love to talk about analysis. Anything you want to give me a follow there, I would gladly appreciate it. And I would love to interact. And then you can check out my work on Fight Network, whether it be on the website or on YouTube or whatever the case may be. But uh, yeah, I'm in the loop, John. So thanks for giving me a platform and having me on. And uh, I look forward to doing it again, hopefully. Awesome. Everyone can go check out at CJ Saftik on Twitter, and of course, postwrestling.com. I'll be back later this weekend. Many shows to come as Way is on vacation, but the, the fun never stops here at the post office.